2: Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app,
3: Apple podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
4: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today, we are going to dive into some sartorial history of pants. Pants. A, because it's pants season. That's right. It's getting cold outside. Mm -hmm. And also because a, a few weeks ago, as I was getting my fall pants out, I started thinking about... Why pants are considered, you know, kind of like the, the masculine uniform. Sure. Whereas, you know, when skirts are for the ladies. Yep. And I wanted to know when women started wearing pants and I, it drove me into <laughs> this just rabbit hole of sartorial. Have I already said sartorial? I'm probably going to say That's sartorial a, a lot. Uh, a lot of fashion history and gender politics and it is fascinating why women wear pants and why men wear pants and even where the word pants comes from can you can you enlighten us
0: on some pant etymology to kick things off i had no idea it came from a roman saint so we have the 4th century roman saint pantaleon who's the patron saint of venice so venetians were commonly called pantaleonis so then in 16th century italy we have a type of comedy theater with stock characters Including the miserly pantalone. He was distinguished by the cut of his trousers, which French, which French people began to call pantaloons. And then by the late 1700s, pantaloons is used to describe
4: any style of trousers. And then the word migrates over to Britain and the lower classes thankfully shorten it just to pants. Although the upper classes, we should note, initially considered it a vulgar term.
0: Don't they now call pants in England isn't that like underwear? Yes, pants it's underpants. Pants are like your panties right. and trousers are like your pants. I would never keep that straight. I would just I would go around being like, "Oh yeah, I'm just going to go buy a new pair of pants." And people would be like, "Oh my word." would be like, "My pants are really dirty." <laughs> and then
4: heavens. Uh, And then in 1840, Edgar Allan Poe prints the word. And by this point, pants was a generally accepted term. So when we're talking about pants, we're talking about Saint Pantaleon. Although I do
0: kind of prefer sometimes to say pantaloon just for fun. (laughs) I know. I just I really and truly love the word pants. 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 Put on some pants. I, I love it. Well, the etymology of skirt is a lot more straightforward. It comes from the old Norse word skirta, S-K-Y-R-T-A, which is basically like one of those long peasant shirts. Think back to uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, and that transitioned into the old English word, wait for it, Skirt, which is S-C-Y-R-T-E. And so there you have it. The development of the word for a, what we think of as a skirt is related to peasants' long shirts that kinda came down to their knees. Well, and speaking of
4: skirts, we should say before we get into pants, pants, <laughs> that skirts predate the pant. Obviously, Um, because it is the second oldest type of clothing predated only by loincloths. Valerie Steele, who's the director of the FIT Museum, says that there are ancient Egyptian drawings with uh, featuring skirts and that a long skirt signaled luxury, mainly because fabric is expensive and women's long skirts would eventually signal modesty and prestige. There's a lot of status mm-hmm. bound in skirts.
0: Yeah, status and beauty. Uh, you know, women's narrow waists were prized. And so, you know, if you could only cinch it so far with a corset, you eventually were like, oh, optical illusion. I'll just make my skirt 50 pounds or put a bustle in it. <laughs> Put a bird on it. Put a bustle in it. Um, In 19th century, by the 19th century, uh, skirts became so distinctly feminine that the word skirt became slang for women. Yeah,
4: you still hear that every now and then.
0: Yeah. But... This episode is devoted to pants,
4: Pants. we can't get too sidelined by skirts, although listeners uh, side note, if you would like an episode devoted to skirts, we can do that. But for now, let's talk about pants. And obviously, men started wearing pants before women did. And the reason why blew my mind. I had no idea because it has a lot to do with horses
0: yeah, pants developed out of necessity. It's kind of hard and awkward to ride a horse in a robe or a kimono if you're in Japan. Uh, samurais in Japan wore baggy trousers so that they could do things like ride horses and wield heavy swords and things.
4: Yeah, and we know this thanks to evolutionary biologist Peter Turchin, who traced the history of pants. And he talks about how in different cultures, whether you're talking about Japan, China, Rome it's always
0: related
4: to horses and militarism.
0: And speaking of militarism in Rome, soldiers adopted pants in the first century CE after being beaten by Hannibal's trouser clad cavalrymen.
4: Yeah. And Turchin also talks about how in pre-unified China, pants were considered barbarian clothes. And that's uh, the whole barbaric thing with pants is, is not just exclusive to China. But speaking of about China, they were worn by nomadic horsemen from Central Asia. But after they invaded and did pretty well, the Chinese started to adopt them. And Turchin writes that those states in China that did not adopt cavalry or pants or adopted them too slowly lost to the states that did so
0: early. Right. And similarly in Europe, we have, uh, in the eighth century after the fall of the Roman Empire, the continent falls under the control of pants wearing horse riding knights. So you were, you know, smart enough to wear pants instead of a robe. It meant you could conquer a lot of people on a giant animal.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's really <laughs> the evolution of pants is really all about the evolution of the horseback cavalry.
0: Mm hmm. Uh, in England, Henry VIII, this has nothing to do with conquering cultures, uh, but Henry VIII wanted to show off his muscular calves and his, I'll say it, sweet, sweet codpiece, And so pants became established firmly as a symbol of power and prestige. And also modernity, which is ironic
4: because, to start out with, they were often considered the clothes of barbarians. Mm -hmm. But by the late 17th century, for instance, we have Peter the Great in Russia decreeing that everyone at every level of society, except for clergy and peasant farmers, had to wear pants so that he was like, hey, Russians, we got to get with the times, Get throw off your
1: So visit snagajob.com or text snag to two four two four two four to talk to an expert. snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Focus Features presents Back to Black.
4: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
1: Experience the music and her story.
2: Know like this, I ain't no
1: spy girl. Like never before. That's
2: my daughter. That's my Amy.
1: Big screen.
4: I want to be remembered for
0: just being me.
1: Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
0: Um, they really became something completely different. They became a symbol in France. During the Revolution, militants wore long pants as opposed to the royalist knee-length, I'm going to call them capri pants. So long pants in France became equated with freedom. Oh, yeah, because uh, the, the sans culottes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't mean that they weren't wearing any pants, as you might hope or imagine. It just meant that they weren't wearing the short pants.
4: Yeah, instead, they were the sans culottes, and the sans actually meant more in that case, because they wore more pants. More pants. Longer pants. But politicizing pants wasn't just exclusive to France either. In Scotland, King George II's Dress Act prohibited... Kilts, although that was, uh, dissolved in 1782, but we see this, uh, you know, all of these fascinating things of, uh, countries being unified, empires being brought to their knees, cultures being changed by pants. Pants. And so, it's not that surprising, considering that, that history of the pant, that it is then going to influence and intersect with gender politics
0: yeah so when do women start wearing pants when does this happen uh basically a lot of people are like hey your skirts and your corsets are pretty much disgusting and they're trailing dirt all over the place and they're making it hard to breathe and so those people who said that very eloquent statement that i just tripped over were the dress reformers Yeah, the women's dress reform movement
4: took place from 1850 to 1914. And even though it was not very mainstream, the dress reformers were considered fringe crazies. But they had some pretty practical ideas about fashion because women's clothes, a single outfit, could weigh up to 25 pounds. And those long skirts that women wore not only dragged on the ground and collected up street trash, and vermin, <laughs> but they were also health hazards because they caught on fire easily. Some women even died from tripping and falling down flights of stairs because of these ridiculous skirts. They were literally weighing us down. And the dress reformers, uh, some of them even said, hey, can we just at least put a cap on undergarments weighing no more than seven pounds? <laughs> Is that too much to ask? Like that, that was radical for yeah. back then. I mean, because those were the days of petticoats. Right. Hide that shameful body under as much weight as you
0: possibly can.
4: Well, and then we have, we get back to skirts and the symbolism and how the the female shape at that time was being artificially constructed. Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine, Caroline, living in a time when the idealized shape was a figure eight
0: no, no, the women in my family are, uh, barrel-chested. So I don't think, I, I, I would not be a good candidate to fit into a corset. Cause I've just got, I've got a tummy and I'm fine with it. Who would be?
4: <laughs> I don't even know who a good corset candidate is. Um, So what were the dress reformers solutions? It was I mean, it was kind of like adopting the more masculine clothes. They said that women should be more allowed to wear trousers. They had reform underwear, which were the the lighter uh, types of underwear
0: and also something called artistic dress. And so they did this really, really crazy, radical, earth shattering thing. They paired a short dress like a knee length skirt. Over pants? I mean, can you believe it? Well, this was already the fashion abroad in some
4: places, um, but in the United States, it was still very radical, and it caught the attention of a woman named Elizabeth Smith Miller, who adopted it for daily wear, and then introduced it to her cousin, someone who might sound familiar—Elizabeth Cady Stanton, early feminist and women's rights advocate—and then Stanton said, "Hey." What up, gal pal Amelia Bloomer? Check out this outfit. And Amelia Bloomer, who we've mentioned in other podcasts uh, about bicycles, um, she was the editor of The Lily, which was a feminist publication devoted to the temperance movement and women's reforms. And Amelia Bloomer started wearing that trouser skirt combo, and people started calling those trousers bloomers.
0: Yeah, and so she wrote about this whole get up in her publication, The Lily, and after other papers picked up on the trend, they did start calling them bloomers, and her response to that, her response to the publicity was, some of our editorial brethren commend us while others protest this usurpation of the rights of man. Yeah, and she made her bloomer
4: debut publicly in 1851, and it scandalized a lot of people, even though it was considered immodest at the time, but she was so covered by modern standards, and it was also, though, seen as unpatriotic because it was borrowing on a Middle Eastern style, and some people found it to be just straight-up bad fashion or also immoral.
0: Yeah, but the big idea was that it just was not consistent with how people at the time thought women should be, should look, should exist, should act. And so a lot of these get-ups were ridiculed in uh, political cartoons and, and publications. And that led many, even those staunch feminists who were very pro-pants to begin with, it led them to ditch the whole outfit and just say it's not worth it. I'd rather be taken seriously for what I'm trying to accomplish, yeah, Amelia bloomer only sported
4: bloomers for a few years because once the I think it was the caged crinoline style came into fashion, it alleviated some of the weight from petticoats because the uh the cage style held the dress out so you didn't need all of those layers, but then you'd get a br- then you'd get a breeze,
0: yeah. Oh, what from the petticoats? or from No, the... from like from not having any petticoats. That'd it's nice. a lose lose. But if it's cold outside, that's true. Sometimes you want a breeze up there, and sometimes you don't. Well, if you're wearing twenty five pounds of clothes, you're probably be a little a little
4: warmer in the winter. You would assume, um, but. Outdoor activities like bicycling did help start moving the dial away from women exclusively having to wear skirts and dresses to it being a little bit more acceptable to wearing pant-like garments.
0: Yeah, and this reform dress movement really gave women a chance to participate in more physical activities because if you're not wearing 25 pounds of clothes and underwear that like makes it impossible to breathe you can participate in more things like tennis like cycling and so this pants boom intersects with the first american bicycle boom which made it possible for women to ride away from the house. Yeah, I mean, speaking of physical
4: activity, we see a similar evolution with swimwear, where at first, when women wanted to get into the water, they had to do it wearing woolen dresses, and it was a drowning hazard. And so slowly but surely, it became more acceptable and safer for women to wear a little bit less and a little bit less to the beach, um, and the same thing happens with pants. But it's not like all of a sudden, at the turn of the century women were just wearing bloomers and pants all the time. Um, And Tove Hermanson over at the Worn Through blog wrote in 2010, she did a fantastic piece on the evolution of women wearing pants. And she writes that in every major instance of feminist upheaval, women's clothing has been examined as both a symbolic and literal reflection of women's inequality in society. An overarching irony is that fashion is a human construct. The things we recognize as feminine and masculine are not inherently so, but have simply been designated as such by early human society and reinforced in subsequently evolving fashions. So, in a lot of ways, skirts and dresses of that day were outward symbols of women's second-class citizenship, Mm -hmm. because at this point, we don't have the right to vote, we can't own property, we can't even wear
0: pants if we want to. It was a terrible, terrible cycle, because if you're putting women in these clothes, you're expecting them to wear, you know, all of these clothes, clothes that weigh as much as a small child all the time, all day long. You can't really expect them to do much. I mean, would you want to go outside and run around in clothes like that? No, you'd probably kind of... Have to sit at home and not lift a finger and lie on your fainting couch and eat bonbons or whatever.
4: Or by the same token, though, women who would be given more leeway to wear, if not sh- a little bit shorter skirts, where it's just brushing the ankle rather than the floor or actually wearing pants would be working class women mm-hmm. who it would be. A occupational hazard for them to wear anything else. So it's kind of a double-edged sword where it also takes on this classist aspect of, oh, well, if you're wearing pants, then you must be poor.
0: And I mean, that really holds true when you look at who were the early adopters of pants. And a big category is the working woman. Pioneer women of the West in the U.S., African-American women of the South, European immigrants in the fields of the Midwest these women were not going to wear humongous cage skirts to work in and then that leads us up to World War 1 and 2 women who took on male work had to dress functionally. And in World War One, they became known as slack girls who wore full knickers. And then, of course,
4: in World War II, we have a record number of women in factories, and they are wearing men's denim overalls. A lot of them were just wearing their husband's trousers mm-hmm. to work. Um, but over at Worn Through, Hermanson notes that even for these women working in wartime, they might be wearing pants to work, but when they would go out, it would be in a skirt or a dress, right?
0: Getting back inside that feminine sphere. Once you're outside of the workplace, Although the sales of pants, we should note, in World
4: War II definitely went up. From 1943 to 44 in England, it was reported that five times more women's trousers were sold, probably, for them to work in. And around this time, too, you have actresses like Catherine Hepburn and Marlena Dietrich who are publicly wearing pants. They have photos of them taken wearing pants. And even aviatrix Amelia Earhart. Loved wearing pants. They were her go to uh, garment. But those were special cases. They were celebrities. They had more leeway socially to wear pants if they wanted to.
0: Yeah. And then Victorian college women often uh, cross-dressed at school, it, you know, whether it was for plays, whether it was for uh, just social events. And I've actually posted uh shout out to social media. I've actually posted a lot of pictures on our Pinterest page of Victorian college women dressed as one would dress as the bride and one would dress as the groom. And they would have all these ceremonies and they talk about on blogs about it, how, you know, like women would write letters to each other that sounded almost like love letters and they would dress as men, but this was not like, as they stressed, they're like, it's not like all this rampant lesbian activity was going on in colleges in the Victorian area. It was more to do with social divisions at the time. You know, if you were going to be affectionate with someone... It had to be a female friend because there was that division between men and women. Yeah. And
4: Catherine Hepburn went to a woman's college and there are photos of her from her college days wearing pants, which would have been totally radical. And it's also totally radical that she just kept wearing them, even as she ascended into stardom in Hollywood. Um, but on a side note, we do have to get a sh- give a shout out to pants where Eleanor, known as Elio, sears. We could do an entire podcast. On this woman, um, she earned the nickname, the universal female athlete, because she excelled at pretty much everything. And she was born to privilege. She was the great, great, great granddaughter of Thomas Jefferson. And she was condemned for wearing trousers in public. But she did it. A, because she liked to wear them, and B, did not really appreciate or like the gender roles of the time. And pants were also practical for her because they helped her compete in sports.
0: Yeah, this woman's uh, athletic resume is ridiculous. She became the first woman to play for a men's polo team. She was a five-time national doubles tennis champion and the first female national squash champion. And that is just a teeny, teeny, tiny Sampling of all the stuff that she did. She actually also uh, had gone down in a submarine, poking around under the water in a submarine, which is awesome. She was the first woman to ever fight uh, a ticket. And she was also arrested for smoking in a hotel lobby, not because she loved to smoke so much, but because men were allowed to smoke in lobbies and women were not. And she was just not going to have that. She was not a big fan of gender roles of
4: her era. But she was known at the time for being one of the few women who would ever be publicly seen in pants, and it was considered very revolutionary at the time. Um, but let's take a moment, though, and talk more about the fashion industry and high fashion, because we've talked about how pants are clearly tied up in working women's lives, but what about for the fashion elite? In the 1930s, fashion magazines were starting to give coverage to women's pants because in 1911 or 1913, I can't remember which one it is exactly, Paul Perot Ray, who was the fashion designer who might sound familiar because he's credited with uh, loosening women from having to wear the corset. And he invented the harem pant Mm -hmm. or he didn't invent it, but he refashioned it for the catwalk.
0: Yeah, he adopted it, not as a political statement or anything like that, but more just. As fashion, Yeah, and because he was such a big name at the time, harem
4: pants took off. And so fashion magazines gradually came around to featuring more women wearing divided garments, as they were sometimes
2: called.
0: Yeah, Vogue had been sort of at the forefront of this for a while. They had started running in 1907 ads for equestrian clothes. So, you know, riding pants. Um, and then all the way up until the 1930s when they have women in beach pajamas and ski trousers. But in the late
4: 1930s, slacks became considered more appropriate for uh, not just skiing and beaching and riding horses, but they were also a wardrobe staple for country living. But in uh, in the 1939 Vogue that has this huge article about these revolutionary things called slacks for women, that did say that you had to be
0: 150 pounds or less to wear them. And they had to be very well cut and well creased to appear properly feminine because your figure is not the same as a man's. <laughs>
4: Thank you, Vogue. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> uh, we should say, though, that in 1934, Levi's had invented its first women's jeans, but not many wore them. It was mostly uh, for women working on dude ranches. They were sold a lot in the West, but not everywhere. It would take a while for women in jeans. For a jean. For a oh, no to pick up. <laughs> I, I hate the singular usage. See, I really enjoy it because <laughs> I like what not to wear. Oh, I think I love it. Stacey London is divine. She's the best. And she uses the singular
0: pant. I know. And I giggle every time. Yeah. Like pants. Stop it. Stop it. saying Stop saying that. I'm wearing a pant right now. See, that makes me think you're only one of your legs has a pant on it.
4: That's what I think of. <laughs> the other one is just wrapped up in
0: <laughs> tinfoil. I don't know. You've got half a bloomer on. I, I do like that in the 1930s and 40s, the sales of women's jeans increased alongside the popularity of dude ranches. Yeah, I, I find that very interesting. And, and you have cowgirls. You have like Calamity Jane. You have women, you know, way back when in our cowgirls episode, we talked about. Uh, women out on ranches riding horses and, and there's great pictures of, of women flying off their horses, their pants all askew. But in terms
4: of everyday, use of being able to open up your closet, pull out a pair of pants and wear them whether you're going to the workplace or to hang out or to a party. Women don't start wearing pants really until second wave feminism comes along and the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s that kind of loosens up those old gender roles and shakes things up a bit and you know, once again our clothes become politicized and for women pants are part of that. And so it takes so, so long, even though we do have people like, you know, there are images of Mary Tyler Moore wearing pants, Audrey Hepburn obviously in pants, uh, Jackie O is considered a fashion trailblazer of wearing pants a lot. Um but for everyday women it takes a long time for it to be
0: kosher for us to wear pants. And in France apparently it took until this year for it to be kosher to wear pants.
4: Yeah, finally, in 2013, France officially struck down a law enacted in 1799 in which a police chief decreed that women seeking to wear pants had to get special permission because pants symbolized both masculinity and the working
0: class revolutionaries, those old sans-culottes. Right. I know (laughs) I'm saying that incorrectly. (laughs) But, I mean, they were so attached to this law that they even amended it in 1892 and 1909 to keep it current with the times. And it was not until 2010 in France when Green Party lawmakers introduced a bill to strike down elements of what they called France's judicial archaeology. And the government was like, don't worry about it. It's outdated. You're all wearing pants. No point in taking it off the books. Yeah,
4: but then France's minister of women's rights said, actually, Let's go ahead and get official about it, because it's a symbol that's incompatible with the principles of equality. So, (laughs) finally... We can we can all wear we can all wear our, our pants. Um, but the the history of it, though, is really fascinating. When you think about how for men wearing pants, I mean, obviously that takes some time as well, but it's all linked to militarism and they become adopted because it's a symbol of power and status, mm-hmm. whereas women's symbol of status had
0: to be taken off in the form of the skirt. Yeah, pants evolved out of necessity for conquering purposes, and I, since women weren't doing the conquering, they yep. got stuck in heavy skirts instead for a while. That's right, although I will say that
4: today, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-skirt no. at all, but the pant
0: is fascinating. I do love a good pair of pants. That's true. Yes.
4: So let us know your thoughts on pants. Uh, are you pro-pant? Are you anti-pant? I know there are some women who hate wearing pants. I wonder if there are guys out there who hate wearing pants. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can send all of your pant ponderings. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast and message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break
1: being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a man Without Parent, only in theaters May 17th.
3: This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. True love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another and every time after that. It's taking long walks together in the summer, gazing longingly into each other's eyes, and, well, watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard.
2: The Pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. And I know you listeners know my love, Peaches Gertrude McFuzzin, whom I've talked about so much. And she really was love at first sight. But I will tell you that it took a long time for me to find her. I actually was looking for a good two years before I stumbled upon her picture from my local shelter and knew the moment I saw her, that she was the one. And the minute I tell you when I saw that picture and I went to meet her out the shelter and I sat with her for a good 20 minutes, y'all, you know, I couldn't leave her. I knew she had to be mine. I knew we belonged together.
3: Peaches and I are friends as well. We are. Uh, we have a good relationship together. So. You can find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive, June 7th to 9th. And the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more about the adoption drive and to see full terms and conditions.
4: And now back to our Letters. Well, I've got an email here from Doug in response to our episode on women and wine. And Doug is a Texan winemaker. He writes, I left for a year to finish school and worked in wine sales at a large store in town. And I can't tell you how frustrated I would become with women who, after having spent 10 minutes extolling the virtues of a specific region, the viticultural techniques, and the science behind a particular wine, they would see a pretty bottle and choose to buy it instead. All the while admitting that it's most likely not as good. What's going on, ladies? I am confused by the dichotomy of this phenomenon relative to women choosing a mate. It's the complete opposite. I digress. I'm equally confounded by the men who think it unmanly to drink a white wine or rosé. The luscious viscosity and complexity of a Grand Cru Montrachet Chardonnay, while not as tannic, are more robust and flavorful than the big. Cabs in California, and don't even get me started on the dry Riesling offerings from Alsace. Magnifique! Oh man,
0: thank you so much, Dougie, Texan winemaker. You. I have a letter here from Mallory. She is responding to our wine episode talking about her grandmother. Uh, She says, My family is initially from northern Italy, and back in the early 1950s, my Nona actually worked stomping grapes. Sometimes she would even bring her kids, i.e. my dad, age three, to come and work with her. Perhaps the funniest of her stories is the time she caught my dad peeing while stomping grapes with her in one of the big open fermentation tanks. A hilarious thought, considering my dad actually grew up to become a very quiet and serious man. The most ridiculous part, however, was that after she caught him, she never told anyone. When I have asked her why, she always shrugs, says she couldn't afford to own up to it, and that a little pee-pee never hurt anyone. That is her emphasized accent on those words, not mine. Just letting you know. Uh, so Mallory says, anyways, I hope my familial anecdotes haven't put you off wine altogether. Just make sure to avoid Italian wine from back then. So thank you for the warning, Mallory. And thanks to everyone who's written in. MomStuffDiscovery.com is where you can email
4: us. You can also follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Find us on Facebook and on Tumblr at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com where you can find episodes, blog posts, and other fun things we find on the Internet. And speaking of fun things, you should also follow us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You and watch our videos over on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Stuff Mom Never Told You is where you can go and subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
2: not banks.
3: That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your
2: life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865.
3: Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter.